Welcome to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. In this program, we take a fresh look at some of today's challenges from the economy, education, politics, security, defense, and much more. You'll be prompted to see and think about things just a bit differently. Now, here are your hosts, Ambassador Harry Thomas and Chief Alex Morales. Welcome to The Spotlight. We are your hosts, Ambassador Retired Harry K. Thomas. And I'm the Chief Alex Morales. Hey, Harry, who do we have today, sir? Today's guest is Brigadier General Retired Remo Butler. Hey, sir, thank you for coming. Thank you for hey. taking the time. My, my pleasure. Glad to be here. Hey, it's, hey Harry, Re- General Butler is one of my mentors, too, back in the day when I was a wicked stopper. You know, I was a young, dumb soldier. You know, I'm still dumb, but I'm old now. <laughs> we're, we're all old now. Hey. Hey, first of all, we want to have a shout out, Harry. Can you do that shout out real quick? Yes, we would like to thank our listeners from around the world, especially those in Redmond, Washington, Richardson, Texas, Greenbelt, Maryland, Madison, Wisconsin, Phoenix, Arizona, Suitland, Maryland, Rockville, Maryland, Ashburn, Virginia, Covington, Kentucky, Columbia, South Carolina, Carmel, Indiana, Warwick, Rhode Island, Miami, Florida, Richmond, Virginia, Menlo Park, California, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Greensboro, North Carolina, where my daughter lives, St. Louis, Missouri, Aubrey, Texas, Atlanta, Georgia, Dallas, Texas, Walnut, California, Prineville, Oregon, Mountain View, California, College Station, Texas, home of the Aggies, Chicago, Illinois, the Bronx, New York, Portland, Oregon, Tampa, Florida, Zimbabwe, Ireland, Israel, China, Brazil, Francis, Netherlands, Korea, Cote d'Ivoire, Canada, Kenya, Mexico, Japan, the Philippines, Costa Rica, Chile, Venezuela, Iraq, and we'd like to wish you all a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and a, and be safe out there. Now I will turn it over to my partner, the chief. Hey, thank you very much, Harry. Hey, uh, Gerald, can you please tell us about yourself, sir? Well, not much to tell. Uh, I spent about 30 years in the military. Uh, most of that was in the Army Special Forces. Uh, I was the first uh, black general in Special Forces. And uh, that's something I'm real proud of. I got to meet a lot of great and interesting and wonderful people that some of whom I still keep in contact with today. And uh, just glad to be here and be able to participate uh, in in this uh, podcast. Uh, General, uh, your command sergeant major, I spoke to him yesterday, Joe Callahan, he said to tell you hi. Yep, Joe Callahan was. But we wanna know what made you want to become a Green Beret? Well, you know, everybody has a different background. When I grew up, I thought I was pretty tough. I thought there was nothing I could not do. And when I went in the military, I started off as a field artilleryman, didn't particularly care for that, so I transferred to infantry. And I met some really great uh, infantry guys. And the, the couple that I really, really had high opinions of, they had one thing in common. They had served in special forces in Vietnam. And they kind of told me, you know what? 
but you're you're the kind of guy who would thrive in special forces. You, you would thrive there because uh, you think on your feet, uh, and you, you know you're you, you're you you like action, and that would be the place for me to go. So I decided to go ahead and try out for it. Made it through uh, SF, and um, been very happy with it ever since. Wow, I thought it was a John Wayne song from the movie that inspired you, but that's <laughs> no, the explanation. No, it was no song. It was a. Uh, you know, it was, it, it was an internal thing. Uh, I wanted to be challenged. I felt I was up to any challenge. And therefore, you know, at that point in time in my life, Green Beret and, and Ranger were the toughest things out there. And I wanted to be part of that. Uh, but General, you didn't tell us what your home, where's your hometown? Egypt, Mississippi. Lord have mercy. <laughs> most, most people have never heard of Egypt. Uh, when I was a little... It used to have um, a blinking yellow light. And now uh, I was there visiting some relatives not too long ago. That blinking yellow light is gone. <laughs> and you, if you didn't know it, you'd drive through it. Well, am I crooked letter, crooked letter, I, crooked letter, crooked letter, I, humpback, humpback, I. That's all I know. But my family from King Street, South Carolina, town of 3,500, sounds the same. And my daddy and uncles were all in the service. So we thank you for your service uh, and great to, that you made it out of Mississippi, sir. Well, I, I'll tell you what, you, you're absolutely right on that. Um, when I went back, you know, I have a lot of relatives there and I, I encouraged them to, to try something else. And I especially like to speak to, to my young uh, cousins, nephews, and nieces. And I tell them, you need to get out of Mississippi. You need to travel, go in the army, see, see different things, because the more you see, the more you know and the better educated you become. I'm still a proponent. I love the draft because in the draft, you got all kinds of people. You threw them in a pot together, mixed them up, and you came out with something pretty good. Indeed. And it makes the sharing more equal. So that's great. That's great. Actually, I'm a believer of the draft too. I think uh, uh, people uh, need to know what it means to serve your country. And sometimes uh, they take it lightly well, while we have. Know. You know, that, that's one thing. But for me, uh, I liked because, one, it, it, it teaches discipline to people that don't understand it. And then for most of us, we learn this thing called selfish service. And, yep. and I, I wish a lot of members of Congress and Senate could go in the military for a while so they could understand selfless service and what it means. Indeed. Indeed. Hey, hey sir, what was the key to your success? key to my success, uh, and I'm going to be honest with you, I learned how to play the game early. And I say that because I had some great mentors early in my military career. Uh, initially, I was, I was very disgruntled with the military. Uh, when I first went in, uh, for officers, they used to have these things called a 60-90 day OER. Uh-huh. And, and, and I was a pretty good uh, uh, lieutenant. And it was about three or four of us came to the unit at the same time. So we got our OERs about the same time. And we, we you know, there was a pecking order. Everybody knew where you stood. And a friend of mine opened his up and he got, you know, whatever. And another guy was pretty good. He opened his, he got whatever. And, and one of the guys was a good friend of mine. He was a West Pointer. He said, oh, yours is probably going to be about the same as mine. Well, mine was <laughs> extremely low. In fact, I think it was like 160 or 161. There was one guy in the unit who got a 160. And uh, they said, oh, this, this must be a mistake. It, it must be a mistake. And the XO 
uh, said, well, you know, go talk to the boss. This must be a mistake. So I went to my boss and I said, sir, I said, you know, well, he said, well, how are you doing, Lieutenant? I said, good. Uh, I need to talk to you. Oh, what do you got, Lieutenant? I said, I'm my OER. And he looked at me and he said, your OER? I said, yes. I said, uh, me and some of the other lieutenants were comparing OERs and mine. Wait, let me tell you something, Lieutenant. First off, your OER is private. You don't <laughs> share that with anybody. And number two, I didn't give you that OER because you were black. I said, whoa, that never came up. Where did that exactly. come from? Exactly. And, and I, I, you know, as a young lieutenant, I didn't know how the service worked. And uh, there was a captain in the unit. And uh, there were two captains in the unit. Uh, uh, both of them were battery commanders. And both of them had one thing in common. They were former Special Forces guys. And they both said, mm, this is wrong. And one of them, and one was, was, uh, was, was white and the other was black. Uh, very few black officers uh, during that time. This was in 1970, 74 time frame. And uh, they basically walked me through the appeal process. Oh, wow. And yeah, they walked me through it, told me where to go, what to do, who to talk to and what to say. And then one of them told me, he said, you need to file a complaint, EO complaint, and say that you think you were discriminated against. And I did. And I won the complaint because it went up and it was investigated by the... Um, brigade commander personally because i made it EO, and they went back and i'm not sure what went on but anyway he told everybody oh i gave him that oer because my information was wrong i based it on the average last year well if that was the case why did he give everybody else what they really deserved but anyway i won they snapped it on my oer uh, this score is based on an average of whatever it was and uh, one of the captains, uh, wanted they wanted to move me out of the unit. The battalion commander did. And I said, no. I said, I don't run from anything or anybody. I'm staying. And one of the captains pulled me to the side later on. He said, look, you know if you screw up, he's going to nail you. I said, I understand that. I said, but I'm willing to take that chance. I took that chance and uh, couldn't. he couldn't nail me because I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, at the end, he moved out and we had a new commander in. And the new commander said something. He had been there about a month, two months. And he told me, he said, wow. He said, you know, so-and-so, I still remember his name, but I won't use it. He, he gave me a real bad impression of you. He said, but you're one of the best officers I have. And, and, and you know, that kind of taught me something. One, SF guys know what they're doing, and they seem to be fair and honest. Two, if I had known what I know now, I would have had his commission. But I didn't know enough. And, you know, the military does what it does. And, you know, they talk to him and. I'm not, you know, don't know if he got counsel, but I do know that the last OER he gave me was close to what it should have been. Notice I didn't say it was what it should have been. I'm saying it was it's close, close to what it should have been. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I took that. And, and then finally, I, I, I got mine back because go down the road uh, about 20 some years. Uh, I was working for a big company in Iraq. And lo and behold, guess who shows up? And I had the privilege and the pleasure of not walking in his office, didn't knock on the door because I was his boss, basically. And I said, let me tell you something, buddy, Rome. When I was a lieutenant, you tried to blank me. So don't pretend like we're best buddies because we aren't. I said, I have no respect for you. And, and you know, that made me feel real good. And uh, <laughs> I walked out. But during that time, I had uh, one mentor, uh, Major uh, General Retired Sid Shack. now. He's dead now. And him and his wife took me and my wife under their, their wing and 
mentored us. And during that time, there were very, very few black officers, period. And there were some who would not mentor you because they didn't want to be seen uh, as they were. Preferentials. Yeah, yeah, doing too much association with you. In fact, one, uh, he was a major. And I would ask him, sir, what about this, sir? He came to me one day. He said, Lieutenant, let me tell you something. He said, you got to stop coming to me. I said, okay. He said, you know, what are people going to think? And I said, got it. So, you know, it was, it was, it was hard uh, in, in the first because you didn't know too much. And as you tried to get knowledge, there was nobody to give you knowledge. And like I said, General Shaq now was the first um, officer who really came, uh, showed me the ropes, told me what to do, what not to do, and how to do it. And uh, ever since that happened, I've made it one of my priorities in life is to mentor uh, young officers as I can. And uh, when I was on active duty, I was very proud because I had a group of about uh, 10 black officers that were in SF that I, that I mentored. And most of them retired as 06s. And I felt really, really good about that. Still do feel pretty good about it. It's amazing that someone has to worry about, even as a lieutenant, try to worry about, instead of learning the rope, you got to learn how to protect yourself and do EEOs and everything. You know, it's, it's amazing that... that that it didn't hunt you, you know, it's crazy. Yeah. You know, but it's, it, it's a fact of life. And, you know, as people say, the army is a microcosm of our society. So whatever you have in society, you're going to have it in the military. Fair enough. Well, we're glad they all made it to uh, Colonel. That's a great story. So, sir, what was the key to your success uh, other than the mentorship you received? Well, I learned how, and I, and I tell people this, you got to learn how to play the game. And I learned who had the information because there would be jobs open and chief understands this. Um, their jobs come open, good jobs. And some people know and other people don't know. And then there's a lot of discussion from the people who know who they want in those jobs. So one of the things that, that you had to do, and my father told me this a long time ago, he said, son, you got to work twice as hard as the next guy. So you do that and you make your boss look good. And then all of a sudden, your boss is looking good and everybody's seeing what's going on. So a job comes up and somebody says to your boss, hey, man, you know, what about this guy Butler? And the boss says, yeah, take him. He's a good guy. And, you know, when you make your boss look good, you look good. But when you make your boss look good and he understands that you're making him look good, they tend to rate you fairly. And that was one of the keys to my success. I took the hard jobs um, and I, I worked my butt off. And with the key to his success, we want to take a short break and we will be right back. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, 
self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. We're back to The Spotlight with Brigadier General Retire Rima Butler. General, uh... Did you ever thought that you were going to make general? <laughs> never, never, never. My goal, this is my, this is my goal. Nice to tell guys, 2006 at 26 is a great time to retire. And that was my plan. Wow. And can you, uh, when you were told that you make general, what was, the, how, what was that? How was, you know, what was that feeling or how was that? It was a feeling of shock. And, and I'll tell you why a couple reasons. One, As I said, I have a mustache. I've always had a mustache. And I remember once a couple old sergeant majors came to me, and we were in, uh, in, I think we are in Swick's headquarters. And they were looking at the walls and had all the retired generals there who commanded. And one of them said to me, he said, uh, Colonel Butler, he said, you know the difference between you and these guys on the wall? And I looked at the wall and I said, yeah. He said, what is it? I said, they're all white. (laughs) <laughs> and he said, no, 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 they don't have mustaches. I said, oh, yeah. He said, you know, if you didn't have a mustache, you'd be a shoe in for general. And I said, well, I'll never make them. Um, <laughs> then I took over a um, training group and I was figuring, okay, I'm not going to be able to retire at 26, maybe 27, because it was a command. So I commanded. And after my first year in command, I was, you know, fat and happy and planning retirement. And all of a sudden, I started hearing these rumors. Colonel Butler's on the BG list. Colonel Butler's on the BG list. And I was like, no, nah, they're just bull skating. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, people started saying it more and more. And I went, I wonder. And finally, it came out. And a couple of the general officers I know called me to congratulate me. And I, honestly, I was in shock. Uh, I've never tried to make general Uh, When I went in, I never thought about making general. My father was a command sergeant major retired. And he told, he hit to him, the war college was was the best thing that you could do. And because at the war college, you'd make a colonel. So I went to the war college. He was very, very proud of me. I got promoted to colonel. He was extremely proud of me. Uh, I took command, uh, brigade command as an 06. He was very proud of me. But we both were looking at my retirement because neither one of us thought that I was ever see general, you know, he would say it would be nice, but we never looked at it that way. And, and I think that's one of the things that helped me make general because I never thought I was going to be a general and I never focused on being a general. Wow. Wow. Uh, general, two questions. Uh, one, what was your daddy's reaction when you made Brigadier General? And two, you wrote a paper in the war college entitled, why blacks fail in the army. Can you explain that? Yeah. Uh, my father, um, 
was ecstatic that I made general. Like I said, because he, he came in a long time ago um, in the early 50s, and there, there was racism. And, and it wasn't hidden. It was blatant. And he worked for some good colonels. And he thought, you know, hell, my son makes colonel. That's going to be great. Uh, when I made general, my whole family, not just my father, were ecstatic. And then they found out that I was the first black general in special forces. I mean, everybody just, you know, were very, very happy for me. Uh, the paper was one of the reasons I didn't think I would make general. Because I brought up some of the, as we say, the uncomfortable truths. And it, it was really uh, good. Uh, at the War College, each class has two or three, I'll just call them proctors. They're retired colonels or colonels still on active duty. And you're supposed to get with your proctor and he, he helps you with your paper. And I just, you know, I thought there were people writing papers on things I thought were very esoteric. Uh, the battlefield in 2092. Mm, don't have a clue. Uh, space warfare in the future. But I wanted to write about something that was real. And I thought about it, and I talked to some other classmates, and they said, oh, you know, go ahead and write this, man. So I said, okay. Well, I went to my proctors, and I said, okay, this is what I want to write on. And one of them, you know, he almost spit his snuff out. Uh, he was in shock. Uh, the other one said, well, mm, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm full. I can't handle that right now. Um, then, um, one of them said to me, he said, well, you know, there's a, there's a lady here and she might be your proctor. And I said, okay. So I went to see her, a uh, little, little Japanese lady, uh, from Hawaii. And, uh, she, you know, I talked to her and she didn't say anything. She just listened. And she said, well, you know, that's an interesting subject, but before you decide that's what you want to do, let me tell you something. She said a few years ago, uh, she was an instructor at War College. There was a, a black MP colonel, and he wrote a paper basically on the same thing. And uh, after he left the War College, he got rift. And I said, well, doctor, wow. uh, to put it to you like this, I said, my record stands for itself. I have no fear of getting rifted over this. She said, okay, fine, do it. I wrote the paper, and of course, you know, it was a controversial paper, but I was smart enough not to use certain words, i.e. racism, racist. I never used those words in my paper. And I made it very palatable for people because I said it was culturism was the reason. And, and when, when I bring up culturism, you know, culture is a group of people having the same mindset, mentality, uh, thoughts, and, and, and likes and dislikes. And, and, and that boil, that's what it boils down to. One, a lot of black officers come in and they have very little interaction with white people prior to this. But when you get in the military, uh, you know, the majority of the officer corps, especially back then, was, uh, was white males. And you had to learn how to work with them and deal with them. Um, you know, they like to go out and have a few drinks on Friday or Saturday nights. And, uh, you know, you go out and have a few drinks, too. Might not be what I wanted to do, but I did it. Because that established a commonality between you and them. You kind of understand a little bit. And the other part of that was I also quickly found out they were the ones who knew what the good jobs were and who was hiring and when they were coming open. So I started using this, you know, to my benefit. And, and I, you know, I hung out. I would even go to country western events 
One thing I never mastered uh, was golf. And of, but of course, uh, you know, there were times when they'd have, um, I forgot what we used to call them on Fridays, have a day off or everybody gets together. Um, we'd go out and play golf. I'd hit the ball and I had no idea where it was going. You know, we'd drink a lot of beer and have a good time. But I, we, I was doing what we call bonding with them. So now it's not you against them. You become not one of them, but they accept you more. So that's what I did. You had to learn. And then I would say, well, you know, what about this? And somebody would say, oh, you know, you're doing great here. Uh, go see Captain so-and-so because he has a, a, a job coming open. Or go see Major Smuckatelli or Colonel so-and-so in his battalion uh, is looking for somebody like you. So, you know, you use those and you go and you, you make it known that you're interested and get interviewed. And sometimes you got it and sometimes you didn't. But more often than not, I got what I was looking for. And you have to be smart enough to play the game. And sometimes people do things that, are, that, you know, let's just say honest, that are racist. But if you don't have proof of it, that it's a racist reason he did it, don't use the race card. The problem is so many people used it, it became ineffective. And a lot of people used it inappropriately because they knew they were just slugs, but they wanted to say, oh, you know, the race card, race. And no, it wasn't racist. You were a slug. And you had to understand that. And, uh, you know, like... Um, Mr. Morales told me I had a very good relationship with NCOs uh, because my father was one and he understood NCOs and all his friends were NCOs and, you know, all of his friends, kids were the kids I played with, you know, so I understood, you know, NCOs and I understand that they're the backbone of the military. A lot of young officers don't really understand that, but I did. So consequently, you used General, two, two things to help our listeners out around the world. Yes. Please tell us what RIF is and what an NCO is. NCO is a non-commissioned officer. That's ranked from uh, E1 to E9. And they're the ones who actually uh, do the work, the legwork in the military. The officers are uh, second lieutenants up to four-star generals. They're the, the, supposed to be the planners, uh, thinkers, uh, strategic thinkers, so forth and so on. And RIF. Uh, that's called reduction in force. Uh, the Army goes through those or all the services go through those where they have too many people and they need to cull some people from the force. So they go through your records, look at what's what, and if they don't think you're going to make it, uh, they tell you, thank you very much for your service. You can go home now. And usually, if you don't have 20 years, you screw, Harry. Yeah. <laughs> hey, General, what do you think, why is so little representation of, of black Uh, officer and sometimes NCOs too and senior ranks. Well, it, it, you know, as you go up in rank, everybody's friends. But as you go up, that pyramid becomes much smaller. Competition becomes greater. Sometimes competition is cut through. And, and I'll give you a great example of that. My father uh, was at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. He was a master sergeant. And um, one of his other friends there, uh, they had the same job, different locations. He was a master sergeant, white guy. And he used to come over to the house all the time. And one day my father came home and he was pretty upset. He said, you know, I'm eligible for the sergeant majors board, but I found out that so-and-so, my buddy, didn't tell me what I could do to enhance my records. He said, you know, I've been to this school, that school. He said, but, and I went through my records. It's not in there. So I, I need, I put together a package real quick and get it to the Sergeant Major's board. So things, now if he hadn't put that packet together, he never would have made Sergeant Major. Yeah. 
So there's sometimes, you know, you can just be left off of the note. Hey, do this. Instead of that, you don't get anything. You get, as we say, crickets. So unless a person tells you what you need to do or they have the inside knowledge and shares that with you, you're kind of stuck like Chuck. The other one is, go ahead. A, a lot of them, especially with black officers, a lot of uh, the white officers haven't had much contact with black people. They don't know black people. They never had any at the dinner. And they would bring guys in, guys would come in, and they would say things like, well, I, I want to look at him first. Well, there's a company open, and he's a captain. Give him the captain. Well, you know, I, I'm bringing this other guy in, but I, I want to look at him. Maybe in six or seven months, you know, I'll give him that slot. The other part of that I, I saw was a lot of minority, uh, especially officers, uh, don't get the prime commands. Uh, the, you know, uh, in, a, in a unit, you have combat, combat support, combat service support. If you're an infantry captain and you get a company uh, in a combat battalion, you're doing okay. But if you get a company and they put you off in combat service support or something, yes, you had a company, but it's not the same as having an infantry company. And, and that happens to a lot of people. That's, hey, Harry, that's like being ambassador of uh, XY country, but not being a DCA or ambassador at the same time, right? Yeah. Yeah, it sounds so much like the State Department. <laughs> um, but General, what do you think Blacks and other minorities should do to achieve senior ranks, including General? Well, you know, first off, let's take General off the table. Um, that'll come if you do the other things right. I think they need to become more involved in their business, i.e., go out and search for the hard jobs. Uh, find a mentor. Don't just go out and find anybody that's a mentor. Do like everybody does. Go out and find some colonel that's on the fast track and get him to mentor you. Because if he's on the fast track and he's going up and he's your mentor, you have a relationship. And if you've worked for him and he knows the kind of work you do, he's going to recommend you. You know, I was recommended, uh, I interviewed the general's aide, I think, for about two or three generals. And um, somebody had to recommend me for that. You know, it wasn't something that just, oh, happened. But somebody had to recommend me for it. And, and that's the kind of relationships you need to establish. The other things is, uh, this is, this is not, a, you know, trying to say anything bad. But one of the things I used to do when I was commander is my minority officers, I would encourage them to come to things, events like, Hail and farewells, other events. They really didn't want to come to because they felt they were boring and, you know, it wasn't fun, didn't want to go. You have to do that. You have to learn how to play the game. And once you do that and you make it up to the rank of major, well, by the time you're at major, people are going to know who you are. And then when you get to be a, a lieutenant colonel and hopefully a battalion commander, everybody's going to know who you are. And then you just have to work hard and maintain uh, – your top-of-the-line rating. And with maintaining the top-of-the-line rating, we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back.
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Join us every week for the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. The ambassador is host Harry Thomas and the chief is host Alex Morales. Together, they bring you different views on today's challenges from politics to education, security, defense, and the economy. The Ambassador and the Chief, along with their guest experts, outline new perspectives and lively discussions. Tune in to The Spotlight on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Spotlight with the Ambassador and the Chief. If you have a question or a comment about the program, drop us a line via email to support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Again, that's support at dbaeecsolutions.com. Now back to The Spotlight. Hey, welcome back to The Spotlight. We're here again with uh, Brigadier General Rima Butler. You know, General, we... You kind of touched my my thoughts because, um, you know, Hispanics and blacks has a lot of things in common. And I always tell Harry, you know, uh, I always thought that I was facing a lot of challenges because every time I opened my mouth, I had an accent. Right. And they're already judging you because you have an accent. You think with an accent. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and so my question is, why did you decide to retire? Uh, very simple. When I decided to retire, uh, I was pretty sure, real sure, that I was going to be uh, come out on the next two-star list. But I didn't feel it anymore. I had been doing this for almost 30 years, and I was looking at something new. And, and I made my intentions known. And people came and talked to me and said, no, no, you need to stay. You need to stay. A lot of minorities came and talked to me. And said, no, sir, you need to stay because, you know, you look out for us. If you go, nobody will look out for you, for us. And I said, you know, you got to start looking out for yourself sometime. But I got called by some companies and they offered me money. And <laughs> physically, my body was starting to wear down. Uh, at the time I retired, I had had four knee surgeries. And uh, I had my back was, was bad. And I didn't know how long I could keep jumping out of airplanes. I didn't know how long I could keep wearing a rucksack and, and humping. Now, as a general, I didn't have to do that. But uh, you remember when we were in Puerto Rico, and once a month, the SEALs would do this crazy, massive PT. Yeah. Thing, and yeah. I was always out there with them. That garnered a lot of respect from them. But it also wore out my body more. <laughs> so I was smart enough to say, you know what? I can do something else beside the military. Uh, this jumping is killing me. Um, you know, I could get really hurt, really bad, and I can go to work for this civilian company and make a lot of money. And that's what I decided to do. Uh, when I got time and grade in 2004, the day after I got time and grade, I got time and grade on one February. 
February the 2nd, I had my retirement paperwork on my boss's desk. And he held it for a while. And everybody was talking to me about, nope, nope, nope. And I said, sir, I appreciate it. You know, and, and, and you please tell them, uh, don't recommend me for two stars because I, I won't be here. And I retired and I went to work uh, for some companies. And again, as you heard me say earlier, it's who you know. You know, by mentoring people and by working hard, people take, take notice of it. You know, they might be uh, away from you. They might not know you by who you are. And in fact, the guy called me. Uh, he was another retired general, but another retired general had called him and said, man, I know you got this job going on. And this is the guy I recommend for it. And he called me, went up, interviewed. And meanwhile, I got another call from another retired general. And this one was in the Air Force about going to work for another company. And finally, I made a decision and, and I went to work. And to be honest with you, I haven't looked back since. You know, I could have stayed in and, uh, you know, got another star. But I remember a long time ago, a young man told me he was a fast mover. And he got out when he uh, was an 05. He was on the 06 list and got out. And he told me, he said, Remo, he said, one day, he said, you're going to be a general. And I said, oh, hell no. He said, really? You're going to be a general one day? I said, no. He said, but if you stay for more than one stars, it's for ego. And I thought about that. <laughs> you, know, you, get, you get a lot of respect. You get a lot of um, ben bennies. You get a lot of things by being a general. And yes, you could stay and have your ego pumped every day. But that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I put in my retirement paperwork. I left my office uh, in May, Friday. And that Tuesday, I was in Kuwait. Awesome. Yeah. Good, Harry. Wow. Uh, sir, Hispanics and Blacks face similar issues. What can be done to offer more opportunity? Well, again, uh, as I said earlier, a lot of that is on you. Is on you. And, and I'm going to use the guy that uh, uh, Chief Morales was talking about, uh, Hector Bagan. Um, Hector is the guy that I basically brought into SF. Uh, as I got, when I took my battalion command, I got Hector to come over and be my XO. Um, so, you know, I'm mentoring him and I'm, I'm setting him up for his next position. Uh, he made, he got to be a battalion commander. Uh, and then, uh, I went to, uh, Sox South in Puerto Rico. Kev, uh, he met, there was an 06 and I needed an, a J3. And I called Hector and I said, Hector, I need a J3. Would you like to be my J3 in Puerto Rico? And he came and, you know, we, we worked great. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, like they say, gracias a Dios, Hector became a general also. And you have to take control of your own career. They will put you in jobs to put you in a job, but you might not be put in the right job or the best job for you. And at some point in time, you have to go to people and say, oh, wait a minute. I understand this job is open. Yes, it is. Uh, but we want, okay, what does he have to offer that I don't? Somebody explain that to me. And people don't like to get in those kind of conversations because they can't explain it usually. And, you know, I remember one time I had a young major come over to me. He came to my house on a Saturday and I was getting ready to eat breakfast. He was, he was very distraught. And he said, sir, I don't know what to do. I said, what's wrong? And basically his boss was, didn't like him for whatever reason. I'm not going to say because he's black or what, but for whatever reason, he didn't like him. And I said, this is what you need to do. You need to go sit down with your boss 
and say, look, this is what I've done. Now let's go through all this and you tell me what I did bad. So you can just, so in my mind, I can justify this OER you're giving me. And he listened to me and he said to me, he said, well, sir, you know, if I do that, he's really going to screw me. And I said, he's already screwed you. Exactly. (laughs) You need to do it to let him know that, okay, it's not happening again. And he said this to me. He said, well, sir, I'm going to go home and talk to my wife and we're going to pray on it. And I said, you know what, bud? I said, I appreciate prayer. I said, but sometimes you got to take your life, your career in your own hands. So you, you make the decision. And, and a lot of people, you know, they don't want, they don't want conflict. And they, they think that if I confront this guy, you know, they'll stick it to me later. And they're absolutely right. But when you make the confrontation, you got to be prepared not to put yourself in a position to get stuck in the future. The squeaky wheel always gets the oil. And if yeah. you don't squeak, you're not going to get any oil. <laughs> Go ahead, Harry. Take that, that next, too. General, I tell the young officers in the Foreign Service when they get, uh, we call it EER, evaluation report, yeah. that if they get a bad one, they need to confront their raider. Exactly. You hear the same thing. And I say, you know, a lot of these guys, um, they may not, you know, they'll try to stab you in the back, but they don't like confrontation. So if your facts are right, they will change things. Maybe they won't change everything, but they'll change a lot. Exactly. But you have to be, you know, you got to have the cojones to do it yourself. I can't do it for you. No, you have to stand up on your own two feet and you have to, you know, be ready. I mean, what more can they do to you? He's already given you a bit, written a bad OER for you. Yeah, you know, we're, we're all for prayer, you know, especially in this season. But sometimes you got to confront people. Like my, my, my daddy said, you got to stand up on your hind legs and be a man. Exactly. Man up. Or a woman. Or a woman. Man up. Uh, let's switch gears. And you supported President Trump's campaign in 2016, but yes. in 2020, you supported Biden. Yes. Can you give us the reason for yeah. both? Let me tell you that. Um, like I said, I, I um, know a lot of, uh, quite a few general officers. And at that time, if you remember, a lot of general officers, I think um, 200 or something, supported Trump. And, and some of them called me and they said, look, you know, this guy's pro-military. He's this, he's that, and you know he wants to d- drain the swamp. And I, and and, and basically, uh, I'm a. I've just signed up as a Democrat, but I I've always been an independent. And I'm I'm fairly conservative. And I said that's what we need. You know, we need to you know to f- fix our military, get some more money to the military, straighten it up, and we need to drain the swamp because we got some congressmen and congresswomen, you know, who are swamp dwellers. And and that was you know he said everything I wanted to hear. And then one day. Um, I got to meet him in Philadelphia. They flew me up and I met him and a uh, very genial guy. Uh, you know, we shook hands, chatted for a couple minutes and, you know, I, I left feeling pretty good. But then as we went along in the campaign, you know, I'm always looking and I was on CNN and I told him, I said, if I don't like what I see, I'll leave. Well, when he started talking about bringing Jeffrey Beauregard Sessions on as his AG, I was like, whoa. And then he started talking about Rudy. I ain't never met a black person who wasn't guilty of something. Giuliani. I said, whoa. <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? And then I, I sent a nice letter and I said, listen, folks, I really appreciate it. Enjoyed my time working with you. Um, but I, I got to leave. I'm not going to do this anymore. Uh, I did not 
it, it, a vote for Trump for me would have been a vote against Hillary, primarily. But I did not vote for Trump in that election either. I voted, I held my nose and I voted for Hillary uh, because I started seeing those um, little trends. And, and, you know, somebody said, I told a friend of mine, he was racist. No, he's not. I said, let me tell you something. I'm 69 years old. I know racism when I see it. He's a racist. <laughs> and, and, you know, a lot of people defended, oh, he's not. No, no. Well, he's got this black guy where, you know, most racists know a black person and they're friends with him because, again, as I said, you know, there are some things culturally that intertwine. You know, you know, me and so-and-so, we might like to play tennis together and drink beer after playing tennis. Well, that don't mean he's going to invite me over to his house for dinner. But we still have kind of a relationship. So sometimes you can say, well, he's not really racist. Well, he might be, just not toward you. And, you know, I've heard people say to me, well, yeah, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're black, but you're, you're not like other blacks. You know, what does that mean? <laughs> you know, so people look at you different. But anyway, uh, you know, I, I was just very, very disgruntled and I left. And then when um, uh, uh, President Biden came, I liked what he was saying. And I would have voted for almost anybody to drain the swamp and get rid of Trump. Anybody that had a chance to win. But I listened to what Biden said and I liked him because he wasn't making all these wild, brash statements. He was very thoughtful. He was thinking about what he was going to do. And I agreed with a lot of it. And now, you know, especially after we've seen all those um, uh, police brutality cases, uh, Trump was, was was giving those guys power. I mean, they, they you know, they felt, hey, we're we're above they the law. Do whatever. Yeah. We can do whatever we want to do. And then, you know, Trump would say next time, you know, don't be so nice putting them in the car, hit their heads against the roof or something. And, and then, you know, that one time it happened in, in Fayetteville, this black guy was getting thrown out and this old white guy ran up and, you know, gave him a forearm. And, you know, the guy was nice. He just kept on walking out. But, you know, uh, Trump's rhetoric brings out all the divisiveness there is, that there ever could be. And that's why I went and I supported uh, President Biden and uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And, uh, you know, I've uh, sent money to the uh, Democratic Fund for the folks running in Atlanta because I want to see Biden uh, get the opportunity to actually do something. Awesome. Well, you know what? It's funny because now that you're talking about that, I, I, I was shocked on two things. Of course, all the stuff that you mentioned, sir. But when we deploy American soldier against U.S. citizen in Lafayette Park just for a picture, I thought yeah. we I thought we went very low there. I mean, I was like, this is like me being overseas and in a third world country where we were deployed sometimes. Exactly. We were, you know, you know? And, and I remember we used to go to countries and teach and our job was to teach their armed forces. Not to do that. <laughs> Not to do that. To respect civilians. To respect civilian law. You know, we did that. We, you know, we were successful in that in Colombia. We were fairly successful in Honduras and um, El Salvador. We did it all over South and Central America. And then we do the same thing we're teaching people not to do. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh... And now though, they're talking about martial law and trying to bring the military to rerun. That is it's just crazy. Yes, it's very crazy. But the sad part is we have the sad part we have people agree with that. Yes, and and military people too. Yeah, that's, that's what's right. just shocking me. Yeah, that's uh. Well, we're getting close to uh, getting out there. So what what are you doing now, sir? Right now, I am uh, doing consulting. Uh, with the coronavirus, I've kind of backed off 
and I stay home and spend a lot of time with my 10 year old son. Uh, and, uh, like I said, I'm waiting for, um, you know, the virus to, to kind of dissipate and I got to get out and use my mind. You know, I have to get out and do something so I can think. And people always ask me, they say, well, you know, why don't you, um, you know, start doing diversity training? And, and, you know, I've thought about it, but I've never really decided that's what I want to do. You know, I, I like that, but I also like mentorship. And, and you know, it, it, you know, the thing that gets me, I look at a lot of these football teams and, and it's happening a lot. A lot of these young kids will get in trouble for domestic violence, abuse, being stupid. Why don't the NFL hire people to mentor these young kids? Teach these young kids in, in the football and basketball that, hey, when you finish playing this sport, what are you going to do? Because a lot of them, if you look at the statistics, a few years after they finish, a whole lot of them are broke because they haven't planned for a future. And you have to teach people about money management. You have to teach people, one, how to speak. I, I remember one of my, if I, if, if I can say this, one yeah, of the yeah. guys I was proud of, I mentored a, a young man. He, he uh, was from Virginia Beach. And he wanted to be a rapper. And, and I worked with him and mentored him. And finally, you know, I saw it was, it was bad. So I moved him down here to Tampa with me. And he lived in Tampa for about six, seven years. I got him. He had a GED. I got him to go to junior college. When he went to junior college, he didn't want to go. But he went. He graduated from junior college as with a 4.0. And he was president of the International Honor Society. And from there, he went to work uh, for the cruise lines. He worked for them for about three or four years. Then he got out and he became vice president of a company, stayed there. Then he went to another company, uh, you know, became another uh, vice president for um, marketing and so forth. That made me feel better than anything that I have actually been able to reach a guy, touch him and make him a better person. I mean, you know, one of the things was easy, you know, once I got him in school and like I said, he was a rapper, you know, he used to wear the hat backward, the big baggy clothes, so we were talking and he was saying, yeah, Pops, he said, you know, I'm going to school. I got a 4.0, but a lot of these folks don't want to talk to me. And, you know, you know what he meant when he said, folks, he was talking about the white students didn't want to talk yeah. to him. Well, this is what you need to do. Take off the hat and start wearing some regular clothes. Well, <laughs> he did. And all of a sudden now he's invited to join the International Honor Society. And he took it all the way. In fact, I laughed at him because they went to England and he sent me a picture and you know how some people take their sweaters, throw it over your shoulders? He was and, doing that. <laughs> and I said, wow. I said, you know, you, be, you went from rapper to bougie. Yeah. <laughs> you know, things like that really uh, make me feel good. And that's what still gets my juices flowing. And, and that's what, you know, I, I think I'd like to do now is, is, is start working, you know, with some adults who are, are doing things and helping them become better adults, better men. That's the key. Better men. Well, thank you, General. Merry Christmas to you and your family. And I'll let Alex, the chief, have the last word. Well, sir, it's been an honor, like always, spending time with you and hear you talk. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Y saludos a todos. cuando se, donde se. Estamos aquí para usted. Tiene un buen Navidad también. Un feliz año nuevo. Thank you very much. And that was the spotlight with the Ciao. ambassador and the chief. Thank you for tuning into the spotlight with the ambassador and the chief. 
Be sure to join Chief Alex Morales and Ambassador Harry Thomas again on the Voice America Variety Channel.